mobile phones, laptops, tablets, and everything in between. This is Sean and Sean, and you're listening to the Silicon Theory Podcast. Greetings, fellow tech seekers. Sean from Silicon Theory here, and this is the Silicon Theory Podcast, where we hope to educate, entertain, and inform you. In just a moment, I'm about to ring up Sean P., and we are going to discuss in full the Google Pixel hardware event. Stay tuned. Sean. What's up, Sean P? It's Google Day. It is Google Day. How uh, how was your day? You know, busy. I had some meetings, but in between, I got caught up on everything, I think. I mean, I guess the good news here is literally everything they showed leaked out far in advance, so we knew exactly what we were getting. So that helps. That's a bonus. Uh, I don't know if it's a bonus for Google. And the epic troll job their Twitter account did yesterday did not go uh, unnoticed <laughs> and un- unpunished by myself and many others. But I digress. So I think we can safely say that the biggest non-announcement was that uh, the rumors of the fabled Pixel Ultra uh, are, uh, let's just say, not 100% accurate. I mean, I don't want to go on record as saying those were completely ridiculous rumors that were literally conspiracy theories that people were running with, but I mean, I think that's basically what we're dealing with here, right? You know what's actually sad is I'm mostly disappointed that I didn't think of that because we would have gotten a ton of clicks on our uh, YouTube channel if I had thought of it first, but I guess there's always the next conspiracy. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I... I, I will say this. I guess you're in kind of a sad state of affairs when people have to invent this elaborate conspiracy theory to explain away the design of your flagship phone. Yeah, and there's uh, there's definitely a lot to unpack there. But um, let's do a quick rundown of the items and the hardware that were announced, and then we can kind of talk about and give our impressions on each one. Sound fair? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. All right. So we had, in no particular order, the Pixel Home Hub, which is, I think, what I called on the recap on the website, a if you were wishing that your uh, Nexus tablet and a Google Home had a sweet, sweet love child, that's that would be the Google Home Hub. It's a Google Home that's mashed together with a 7-inch display tablet. Uh, there is also the Pixel Slate which is a very fancy um, tablet slash convertible that you can actually use as a tablet, but you could also buy a keyboard and a Pixel Pen accessories, which would allow you to expand its functionalities. We got a third generation Chromecast, which actually was received to little or no fanfare. And uh, we also got the Pixel 3 and the Pixel 3 XL mobile smartphones. Does that, uh, does that cover everything? Did I miss anything? That's it. Okay. So let's start with the Home Hub because I think you texted me earlier something to the effect of uh, too bad it doesn't have a camera. I might be interested in one. What did you think about the Home Hub? Yeah, of all the products they introduced today, I think the Home Hub would be the one that I would be most likely to purchase. Really? But yeah, I have Google Homes throughout the house. Well, excuse me, I have a Google Home and then Google Home Mini's literally in every room in the house. I think I still have like five of them. And I like this idea. It would be neat to have one or two of these around the house, I think, for a variety of reasons. Uh, I think it could replace my like aging alarm clock next to my nightstand, for instance. And it's kind of, they're, they're neat looking. It's a, I like Google's design. It looks a little bit like they just attached a tablet to a 
Google Home or Google Home Mini or something, but there's something about the design language that's just kind of simple and likable. But the main thing for me here is the omission of the camera. I was actually looking at one tonight. I was thinking about buying one, but then I was looking at the Lenovo one that has a camera, and it just seems like that makes a lot more sense to me. I, I know the reason for keeping the camera out was privacy concerns. They didn't want people thinking that the device was somehow recording you when it wasn't supposed to be when you were just you know doing whatever it was around the house. But well, the good news is is that Google hasn't had any issues related to privacy leaks recently, so that's good. You no, know, and, and I understand why people would be concerned about this, but I kind of like the idea. I think one of the other competitors, I can't remember which one, just you know, there's a little cover that you can slide over the camera when you're not using it. But I think the camera would be one of the main reasons. I would want to have one of these devices around the house because it would allow my son, for instance, to use Duo to you know, call his grandparents or cousin or whatever, which would be kind of neat. Um, so outside of that, it's, I don't know, it's kind of a, a weird thing. They show a bunch of demos. It does YouTube. It can show you the weather. You can control lights in your you know, smart thermostat and those kinds of things. But it's not really, it's not running Android, so it's not really a tablet per se it's running what do they call this os do we know android things android things os okay so you know i don't know it's kind of a weird product and i guess the other thing for me is i like the idea of having a bigger screen i think if i were doing this so the lenovo comes in an eight and a ten inch screen and either of those seem like they'd be more interesting for me i think specifically a 10 inch if I, if I were going to buy one it's probably what i would opt for but it's you know it's it's fine. The price is the price is what one forty nine. One forty nine is correct. Yeah, one forty nine. So it's not too expensive. I, yeah, I think it's one of those things where if I bought it, I'd probably be like, ah, oh, this is neat, and I wouldn't use it that often. Yeah. In all honesty, but in the future, as the smart home evolves and as they tie more things in, it would be kind of neat to have a, like kind of a command center where you could take care of everything in your house, lights, thermostat, etc. Uh, I don't know. I, I feel like it's a first generation product and it's fine and it's not priced anything ridiculous, but I, I feel like not having a camera is a real missed opportunity. And not that I not that I disagree per se, but uh, just to play devil's advocate, when you say um, like as a duo center, uh, doesn't doesn't Jack already have a, a Galaxy tablet or something like that? He does have a Galaxy tablet, yes. So he could but, he could use calling on that, I guess, in the in the case where I, I mean, again, just playing devil's advocate, that the tablet is obviously a much more mobile solution, and we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get to the Pixel Slate. Whereas I see this as a much more uh, fixed point solution, and I do agree with you. I think that the inclusion of a front-facing camera with some kind of slider or cover that also deactivates the microphone would have been the right choice, and maybe. Maybe ultimately pricing, uh, although the irony of ironies is that maybe pricing was the only concern that Google had with this device, which certainly is not the case with any of the other devices that they announced today, because pricing was uh, no object with respect to the Slate and the Pixel Two or Pixel Three devices. But I think maybe they just thought, hey, we'll we'll leave a component out, we'll drop the price down to a buck forty nine, and see if maybe we can get some people to buy that versus the Lenovo one. Um, right, but, but what I mean, what does a decent front-facing camera cost at this point? I mean, literally, a, a, the component itself probably costs maybe, yeah. what ten, fifteen bucks. So, yeah. I mean, I guess price is probably part of it. But if they had brought this out with a front-facing camera at one seventy-four ninety-nine, for instance, or something like that, I mm-hmm. actually think for me 
specifically would be a lot more attractive at that point. In fact, I probably would have bought one if it had a front-facing camera. Hmm. Um, Interesting. So it's just, it's, yeah, it's fine. But I just, I don't know how large the audience is for this. I guess we'll see. Yeah, I think the ones, I think the people who would tend to look into buying it probably would have preferred that it had to have a front-facing camera. And to steal your own phrase, I'll say, yeah, it's it's not offensive. It's fine. Um, it is kind of a, a niche product, and, and this is a relatively new set of products. But I think that it has one significant advantage over things like the Lenovo Smart Displays and some of the other manufacturer smart displays that we've seen, is that this, this concept of it being a home hub and that the redesigned Google Home app being on it will allow you to use it to control a a myriad of smart things in your home uh, and also allow you to interact with it visually while it displays, you know, real-time traffic and using the Google Assistant will answer your queries in much the way that a Google Home would. But if you're asking for, you know, obviously the the main um, use case that everybody cites is, oh, if I want to follow a recipe to make blueberry muffins or whatever, like it'll display the recipe on the screen. I don't think anybody's really going to use it for that, or at least that's certainly not the most prevalent use case for it. But I do think things like it, you know, kind of statically displaying the time constantly is useful as a clock. It also has extended use when the Google Assistant integrates with your home schedule and can tell you about upcoming appointments and um, traffic status on your way to something. And it's kind of like the last thing that you see when you walk out the door and you could tell it to, you know, turn off the lights and turn the thermostat, uh, you know, up to 78 or, or whatever. And uh, the, the concept of it as a home hub uh, certainly has some use and some value, but uh, significantly less so without that the camera integration to expand it to video calling and, and other things like that, which you've already mentioned. So uh, I guess you're right. I guess we'll see. We'll see how well it sells. At a buck fifty. I think people will probably snatch it up, uh, much like we talked about with the Chromecast with when it, should, when it initially launched. Easy for me to say that uh, it, it's priced in such a way that it's almost like an impulse buy, and then you'll find use and functionality for it later on. And, you know, arguably the Chromecast is Google's most successful, well, it's not arguably, it is its most successful hardware product to date, but it's, some of its uh, functionality was kind of limited at launch, and I think the Home Hub will probably fall into that same line eventually. Yeah, and how, how much does a Google Home cost? Are they at $99 now? I've lost track. Uh, the standard Google Home? Yes. 129 I think. Is that right anymore? I mean, that seems actually way high. Like, so for an extra twenty bucks, you can get basically a Google Home with a screen. Yeah, keep talking, and I'll pull it up on the Google Play Store right now. So that's one interesting thing. It's kind of the the Google Home Mini is a very you know yeah it's cheap as hell product, and, and it does it serves its purpose, but it's nothing fancy. And then you have the Google Home, which I have one of those, and it's it's definitely a step up. Um, but if the price difference was only that's kind of interesting. If they do indeed still cost one twenty nine. Yep, I'm looking at bucks. looking at Google's website right now. Buy it one twenty nine free shipping. Yeah, that seems like a slam dunk that I would buy. The home I, hub. Yeah, the home hub for twenty bucks more. I mean, I get a screen and essentially all the same functionality. Although the speaker probably isn't as good i didn't see any impressions of that well they did have they do and did advertise that um it's going to have integration with uh youtube music spotify um and a few other music services so i would think that they would take some of the same tech in terms of sound quality from like the google home max and maybe built it into it because it's bigger than a home mini right like i didn't see it yeah correctly displayed against something else but it's definitely bigger than a mini it's definitely bigger than a home so i'd imagine that the speakers that are in it are probably much more robust maybe 
Yeah, I guess, you know what? If I were looking to get into this ecosystem and I didn't own any of these products already, I, I guess if I were really looking at, hey, do I start with the Google Home or do I start with the Hub, I, for 20 bucks more, I think a Hub's a no-brainer in that instance. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, and like you, I, I think I waited to... I got a free Home Mini uh, with the purchase of, I don't know, some damn thing. And then I ended up getting another home mini and a Google home when they went on sale for black Friday. So that was the, that was kind of the trigger, you know, 50 bucks off at 79 bucks makes it definitely an impulse buy. And it has a much more functionality, um, than, than it's $79 price point would belie. But the, um, the home hub, I agree for 20 bucks more, I think you're getting a much better product and a much more useful product for your 150 bucks. So next up, the appropriately named Pixel Slate, both its color as well as its proper name. It is, did you see a size on this? I couldn't quite find information on how big the display is. I saw something, I think in a YouTube channel review, maybe from Android Authority that said it was a 12.9 inch display. Do you, did you see any specs on this at all? Yeah, I think I saw it was a 12.9-inch display, and I believe I saw a 3-2 aspect ratio, which is similar to the Surface, if I'm not mistaken. And I yep. think, isn't that the same ratio that the, um, what was our last fancy tablet that no one bought? The Pixel C? Pixel C. I think that was 3-2, if I'm not mistaken, but... Um, I, I believe you're correct. I think yeah. it's 12.9. Okay. And uh, supposedly they put a lot of uh, technical gobbledygook into saying, hey, the screen's really high res and it's really good. Um, I looked up at the recap on Droid Life and I didn't see anything beyond the configuration options, which I'll call up here in a second and we'll go over in terms of pricing. But it's basically, and correct me if you think that I'm wrong, but everything that I read and everything that I saw that basically said this is an iPad iPad Pro competitor? I think it's meant to be an iPad Pro competitor. Uh, it's 293 PPI. They made a big deal of that, which is not high for phone, but very high for a tablet. I believe I read the iPad Pros are still at 264 PPI, so it is technically, well, it is higher definition. Now, <laughs> so Pixel wait, wait, is wait, not wait, the wait. only measure so of two, a great so screen. So 278 is higher than 253? No, it's 293 and 264, I think, Okay, sorry. If you want to get technical. All right, but, but technically, got they it. They make a big deal out of this, and it's like the days of just using PPI, that's not the measure, the only measure of a good screen. So I'll be interested to see what the actual measurements are of the screen because Apple does, like, damn near perfect calibration on everything, gamma, blue point, you name it. So it'll be interesting to see if... Google's been able to match that, but oh, we'll get to we will get to perfectly calibrated displays later on as well. So I would say that this product is this falls into the category of nice, and I would never buy one. So it's it's a tablet, I guess, that runs Chrome, which I actually think is a step in the right direction. Um, the Pixel C running Android never made any sense. No, I think it makes all. much much more sense to have it run Chrome. So applause there. It's a step in the right direction, but. The problem with this is the pricing. It starts at $599 for a Celeron processor with 6 gig of RAM and I think 32 gigabytes of internal memory, which is like laughably small. Bring it, bringing it up right now, and you're correct. 4 gigs of RAM, the 8th gen Intel Celeron, and Is it 4 or 6? I thought it was 6. It's 4. 
The five ninety nine. The five ninety nine configuration is four gigs of RAM. This is according to Droid Life. Four gigs of RAM, thirty two gigs of storage. It's an SSD, but still, basically. So you're the phone that you both of the phones that you and I have right now have more internal storage than this tablet at five ninety nine and the same amount of RAM. And the Snapdragon S thirty five or the Snapdragon eight thirty five probably craps all over the Celeron processor. I'm not, you know, Qualcomm and Intel. I, I believe that's actually correct. Yeah, com- comparing Qualcomm and Intel chipsets, not exactly, it's more of an art than a science, but I mean, you know, again, our phones cost more than $599, but there was no way in hell I would buy this tablet for $600. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and not only that, but they showed a keyboard, which looks pretty neat. It's backlit. It, it looks pretty fancy. It just clips right on, but it costs $199, which... Like, I don't really care how nice your keyboard is. $200 for a keyboard accessory is excessive. And then on top of all of that, you have the pen device. Is that what it was? Did they Pix- call it the pen? P- what Pixel pen, it? baby. Pixel pen. Pixel pen. And they want, what, $100 for that? $99. Yeah, so it's just one of those things where there's nothing wrong with this product. There isn't. It looks nice. I like the blue color. There isn't. It looks premium. I like the screen. <laughs> Did you just say there's nothing wrong with this product? No, I mean I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Other than I think it costs too much. Well, it's doesn't isn't that what's wrong with it? Is that it's too damn expensive? Well, but I wouldn't say that's an indictment of the hardware or anything. I actually think they made a lot of right decisions, especially that it runs Chrome, and I like the high resolution screen and all of that. And and value is kind of you know in the eye of the beholder a little yeah. bit. No, true, true. There's a little bit of that, but yeah, I would say for me, uh, I said this when we started, it's a product I would never personally buy. I, I, I think it looks neat. I'd love to play with one, but I'm not going to spend, by the time you get done, you'd have to buy at least the second or third version up. By the way, I would want to check Droid Life. I could have sworn I read the bottom end configuration was six figure RAM, but I could be wrong. Okay. But um, it's just one of those things where, yeah, by the time, you know, so you're at 600 bucks, you buy the pen, you're at 700 bucks, and you buy the keyboard, you're at $900 plus tax. That's really expensive. I can buy a pretty decent laptop for that, and and this I, tablet is crap at that configuration. Like, it, what would it do? And I get that it's Chrome OS, but what would it do? For me personally, not a whole lot more than. I, again, I don't use it. it. It's in that weird in between where I don't know there what people is. actually use this for. I think it's meant to be like a productivity tool, similar to the iPad Pro. But I feel like most of the people that own the iPad Pro, they may use it for some work but i think generally people just still use these as media consumption devices so viewed in that space i mean i'm sure it's fine the browser experience is probably fine and if you want to watch youtube or whatever else i'm sure would do all those things well but if i were spending that kind of money i just there's no the problem for me is there's just no justification to spend that kind of money on this if i wanted a tablet and i were spending that kind of money i would buy the ipad pro and if i wanted something more serious for productivity and wanted to spend a little bit more, I would either buy an Ultrabook or um, a Surface tablet if I wanted to go that route. So it just it kind of falls into this weird space where I'm sure it's fine, but I can't think of any specific use case where I would want one of these. So here, because I'm on the product page for the Pixel Slate, here are a few corrections. So it is a 12.3-inch display. Oh, interesting. Okay. And it has a, and we didn't mention it does have the pixel imprint sensor in the power button. So it has a fingerprint scanner. It has the um, Titan security chip built into it for Google's uh, security protocol. Uh, the 12.3, it's not a retina display. It's a 
molecular display that features the aforementioned, um, I love the marketing, by the way, molecular display is trademarked. Um, uh, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, I think we've finally we've lost. I now, mean, even now we know why it's like, so expensive because they had to, tr- to pay for the trademark for molecular display. Even Super Amoled was like this kind of like red herring bullshit marketing term, and now we've gone full ham with yep. Redna and Super Redna. And then what what do they call the LCD on the XR? Liquid Redna. God, giggity. Just stop, giggity. So the molecular display does have the aforementioned 293 PPI and 6 million pixels, dual front-facing speakers, uh, which is nice. So uh, how dare you question the good fellows over at Droid Life, sir? The uh, base configuration with the Celeron processor, 4 gigs of RAM, 32 gigs of storage, or 8 gigs of RAM and 64 gigs of storage. You pay 100 bucks more for the jump in that. And then it goes to the uh, Core M3. And then actually to get a processor, <clears throat> excuse me, to get a processor that's worth a damn, you need the um, 999 configuration, which gives you the H- 8th Gen i5 with 8 gigs of RAM and 120 gigs, 128 gigs of storage. Or you could spend a whopping $600 more and get the uh, 16 gig of RAM with 256 gigs of storage. Mind you, this is a machine that is running Chrome OS, and at $15.99 plus a stylus and a keyboard, let's see, 16, 17, 18, and you're spending, basically after tax, you're spending two grand on a Chromebook. Right, I, I would never do that. And I don't think there's many people that will, but I doubt that Google is planning on selling a ton of that top skew. Um, I think anybody who buys this top skew is the same as the people who buy the Pixelbook top end skew, and that's the category of people who are out of their goddamn mind. You know what I would really love, and I wish they'd done this instead? I, as I said, I think they're on the right track with having Chrome for tablets because the Android situation is so bad, but Red I wish they'd Chrome. done like a, even if they'd done like a, you know, a $250 to 300 Nexus 7 successor with a, you know, uh, 2560 by, what is it, 1600 on that aspect ratio screen with, even if it was a Snapdragon 835 or 845 if they really wanted to go for it, it running Chrome, tablet, I, I feel like that would be a lot more interesting for most consumers than this and would be something that would have more widespread adoption if if this is meant to be like a Trojan horse to get Chrome out there for more people. I, I guess I don't, I don't know. It's hard to understand what their strategy is with this product when they were creating it. I'm sure they must have targets and things that they're trying to achieve within. It would be really fascinating to be a fly on a wall and hear what those were. As an outsider, it's it's difficult for me to pin down what market this serves and what audience they were attempting to reach with this. But I, I wish they would do. I wish they would go back to doing some inexpensive tablets running Chrome. I think they could really improve the. Not solve, but certainly address the deficiency of Android on tablets, and would be something that I think a lot of people would be interested in, myself included. So, you know, again, I don't know what they're going for here, and perhaps this achieves exactly what they want, but it certainly seems a little, a little bit of a confusing to me because I'm just not sure what their goal is here. Yeah, I mean, I think if you're pricing a, uh, I'm well, let me put it this way. So, the cool thing about Chromebooks is they're hella cheap, and 
they work reasonably well. They're basically virus slash dummy proof, and you can get you know a wide range of Chromebooks at just about any price point. But the the single advantage of them is that you can find them pretty cheaply, and you can get a uh, you know quote unquote laptop into the hands of somebody who might have minimal need and minimal resource consumption for that kind of device relatively inexpensively. If you're going to get somebody who's going to spend $2,000 on a freaking Chromebook, they are always, in every single circumstance, better off buying either a PC or a MacBook, without question. Simply or because Surface. Of, yeah, or, or Surface. Surface Pro, if that's, if that's the direction you're headed. Yeah, I, again, that's why it's kind of a puzzlement. I don't know what the audience is. I agree with you. I think if I were logically looking at my options and I were in this space, I would buy either an Ultrabook or a Surface, or an iPad Pro, and, and I don't know what I would order them, it would depend on what I was looking to do, well before I would purchase this. Um, so, but, but as I said, I, I like the Midnight Blue, I like that they're moving to Chrome on tablets. I see some positive things out of this. It's just a product I would never personally buy because I can't think of a use case. Yeah, and the uh, I agree with you, and I, I wrote this in the article as well. Like Android tablets have been a dumpster fire for a long time, and the fact that you've or you've the fact that Google has migrated towards Chrome OS on tablets while still incorporating Android app functionality is a great leap forward. And I think that, like you said, if we can get Chromebooks. Uh, cheap Chromebook style uh, efficiency into cheap Chrome tablet efficiency. There's definitely a market for that in terms of like, hey, I now have a you know a seven inch or an eight inch tablet that's basically a straight media consumption device. I log into my Google Play account and I can stream you know whatever the hell I want, you know, work on email or do what have you. But the concept of spending two hundred dollars on a keyboard. Um, when you know you can buy a Pocophone F1 for that price is just mind-boggling. Um, I, I agree. I think that there's some interest in this first-generation product, but I, they'll probably sell like 25 of them. Yeah, it's not going to be a big seller. I doubt I'll ever actually see one in person unless it's on display at some store. But I like that idea, and I agree with you. I, I wish they would just make an inexpensive even $300, whatever, entry-level tablet that runs Chrome and get it out there and see if, you know, this is the direction we want people to go. And it would probably, if that worked well, it would probably entice other OEMs to then create tablets in that space. And I think a Chrome OS tablet has more utility because you have, you, it can do the normal stuff, browsing and YouTube and media, but it does have the ability to do more in the productivity space and, it's not a replacement for a laptop, but if that costs like $300 or something, it, it, it's a completely different market. So it's something I would at least look at. Let me, I want to hit you with something. One last thing before we leave the pixel slate space and announcement. Um, I heard on the verge cast, uh, something that Nilai said that kind of rang an interesting chord in me. And they were having the same discussion with, um, with somebody about Microsoft and why would they produce like the Surface Pro and the Surface Book and the Surface Laptop line when basically they're, you know, Microsoft is the Windows supplier to all of these other OEMs to compete. And Eli's theory was that basically what they're doing is Microsoft is providing reference hardware to show and showcase certain types of technologies that they have developed and that they're in essence giving away for free. And that inspires their OEMs to, or their other hardware OEMs, 
to say, hey, we could do something like that, but we could do it, you know, faster, cheaper, better, put our own spin on it, and then slap windows on it, and then thereby continue to push their own, um, continue to push push their own hardware line forward, and to Windows, even though maybe the hardware is a lost leader, because you know ASUS and Dell and you know everybody else that's producing laptops these days is still slapping and buying Windows licenses. So Windows ends up, win- you know, Microsoft ends up winning in the end because they're still selling copies of Windows, and these companies end up winning in the end because Microsoft is in in essence doing their R and D for them. Do you think Google has something of that same type of strategy in mind where they're providing like, hey, here's a really high-end Chrome OS tablet. Now all of your other fools go out and make cheaper, you know, not quite as nice, but work just as well and can get it at different price points, um, Chrome OS tablets, since Android tablets are basically DOA? This was kind of what they supposedly were trying to do with the Nexus line, right? When it existed was they were pushing certain hardware features and things that they thought were important in an effort to entice other OEMs to make a part of their product lines. What you're saying with Microsoft makes a lot of sense, but I think the key difference is Windows is like a ubiquitous OS already. I mean, it's on, if you were for a major corporation, odds are you're on a Windows machine, although, you know, if you're in an artistic endeavor, you're still using Macs, but... Um, so from that perspective, I think it makes more sense because that's an OS that it would, it would make sense that a lot of customers are using at work and it would be handy to be able to have that same OS on a tablet or something at home where they could easily move files or look at things and have it all be the same. I think the whole in this for me for with that strategy would be Chrome is not some widely adopted OS at this point. Um, it is adopted in schools. There's Chromebooks that are pretty ubiquitous in schools. But this isn't from a consumer standpoint, Chrome is not a widespread OS. So if you were trying to make it a widespread OS and entice other OEMs to have tablets or hardware that runs this, I think, and you know, I'm not a marketing major, so I have no idea, but I think I would, I think I would focus on something more akin to the Nexus 7, something low-end to get it out there, try to sell a lot of them so that you now have a bunch of people that use that OS and are used to it. And then maybe try to move up, up market and see if other people jump in on it. So, if it's, it's possible, that's their strategy. But if that is their strategy, it seems flawed because they're using an OS that is not widely adopted. I don't even think most people know that there is a Chrome OS. If you ask most consumers, whereas that's probably I think fair. most people are definitely aware of Windows as an operating system. So, it's that's an interesting theory. Um, but I, to me, that it would their strategy wouldn't make sense if that isn't either they're trying to do. Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, it, it was just an interesting concept, and I was thinking, because Google is always throwing shit against the wall to see what sticks anyways, and I thought, well, hmm, I wonder if what they're saying is, is hey, this is the direction that we want the market to go in, but nobody's had the stones to basically throw, again, because Chrome OS isn't as widely adopted as some other operating systems for tablets, Google is saying, hey, it can be done, we did it. Now go out and make cheaper versions to compete with this. Because now there's there'll be, you know, 30 people will buy it or whatever, and other people will get to talking about it, and other people will see it. And, you know, some some <clears throat> excuse me, somebody's out there right now going, hey, I bet you we could do something like that and get Chrome on it and make it cheaper and get people to buy that product instead. 
So um, I thought it was an interesting concept. I don't, you know, again, Google does a lot of stuff that doesn't make a ton of sense. So I don't know if maybe we should attribute, you know, that much forethought and credit to them for this kind of product. But it is um, definitely a niche product, but uh, not for me. I think my my TLDR review of this is too expensive. That would be my standpoint as well. Although if, again, I, I just wish, I think 299 would be my curiosity cutoff. Whereas if they brought out some kind of tablet running Chrome or something in that price range, I probably would check it out. So we'll see. Riding on Chrome. Yeah. Um, now let's, uh, let's talk about the star of the show, the third generation Chromecast. What did, uh, what'd you think about the Chromecast? I think it's a Chromecast that has Bluetooth, it com- I guess, and dude, with a sw- dude. slight design change. It comes in two colors, man. Come on. Yeah. I think it was Ron Amadeo from, uh, he's from Ars Technica, who summed up nicely like, man, I can't figure out which color I want to not be able to see behind my TV. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a really fair point. And Ron is uh, Ron was not done with the criticism at today's event. Believe you me. So let's uh, move right along then to the uh, stars question mark of the show, and that is the Pixel Three and Pixel Three XL smartphones. So what we have are uh, two different SKUs in three different colors and two different sizes. So the smaller Pixel Three has a 5.5 inch 1080p AMOLED display, which comes in just black, clearly white, and new for this year, not pink, and has two configurations of storage, both with four gigabytes of RAM. You get 64 gigs, or excuse me, uh, two different storage options, one memory option. So four gigabytes of RAM is memory, 64 gigs or 128 gigs of storage. You get the same uh, RAM and same storage options in the larger 6.3 inch Pixel XL notch edition. And uh, it is a quad HD display. There was some uh, leak. There was a leak the night before, which I think we saw that said that both of these were going to be 1080p displays. Happy to see for some people, that that's not true. And um, really the only difference between the two is screen size in terms of real estate and battery life, whereas the Pixel 3 went up from, um, what was it, 2770? 2700? I can't remember, Pixel 2. Something. 27, I want to say it's 2790 or 70, yeah, okay. you're right there. So uh, in the 2700 milliamp hour range, up to 2915 milliamp hours, and the... Pixel 3 XL actually decreased in battery capacity from last year. Pixel 2 XL has a 3520 milliamp hour battery, and the new one has a 3480. 30, I thought it was 3430. 3430. I can't remember. Maybe it is 80. I'll have to take a look at that again, too. But um, that's basically the specs of the devices. Um, give, me, give me one word on the Pixel 3, and then give me one word on the Pixel 3 XL. Wow, one word on one word on the Pixel Three. Um, Pixel Three, good. Okay, and the Pixel Three XL. Ugly. <laughs> and this all be uh, even more of a surprise to us if we hadn't already seen these devices leaked in their totality. Uh, what two months ago now? Yeah, I mean, I think June 6th, I read, was the first time we saw the Pixel 3 XL leak out. Savage. So we're, we're talking months and months. And I, it's kind of weird to say this in 2018, but we've been following phones now for 
you know, since 2010 or 11. And I, I cannot remember any mainstream phone that has been leaked more than the Pixel 3 XL was. Um, I've never seen anything like it where it was full retail boxes with everything, full hands-on reviews a month in advance of launch or announcement. It's, it's kind of just staggering that that happened. I, I can't remember. I mean, I guess the iPhone 4 when they left it in the bar and they got their hands on it early was yeah. a fairly leaked device. But that was pretty funny. even that wasn't quite the same. I mean, it was a prototype device that got left behind. This is literally, here's the retail unit being reviewed by 20 Ukrainians. So, um, and they did a, and they did a damn fine job of it, I might say. Yeah, I mean, they were right on. Boy, there was no surprises. So, look, on hardware, if you're looking at specs, these phones are um, overpriced. There's just there's really no other way to say it. When you're comparing it to any of the flagships this year, they have less RAM. They have four gig of RAM. Um, they don't have expandable storage. The storage options are lower than most of their contemporaries at this point. Um, you know, 64 and 128. The Note 9 starts at 128. The iPhones do start at 64, but they scale up to 256 in most instances, and then up to 512 even. So, pixels are net. They don't have dual cameras on the back. Um, so if you're looking at specs alone, I think it's a hard argument to make that the value is there, especially given the pricing, which we'll get to. But I think most Pixel users would tell you that the reason they buy it is because they're more than a function of just their specs. They work better. They don't lag. They're smooth. They don't degrade. Performance doesn't degrade over time. You're promised fast updates for years. So the reasons to buy Pixel are very much intact, if those are your criteria. For those people that are buying them, um, I think that probably they would look at it and go, yeah, they're expensive, and the specs maybe if you just are on paper don't add up. Uh, you could even bring in something like the OnePlus 6, which you know I'm a sucker for, and it's significantly less expensive and, and beats these phones in a number of areas as far as specifications alone are concerned. But overall, I, I think there's still a lot of people, If you, those reasons are justified. They are very smooth phones. They're very fast phones. You know you're basically getting the best camera on the market. And, uh, you know, when you take into all of those things into consideration, uh, people aren't there, I think, usually, like, looking at their RAM utilization and going, boy, I wish I had 8 gig of RAM. So maybe it doesn't matter. Um, but strictly from a numbers-to-spec standpoint, the value is not there for me. And I think this is probably the first year in a while where I've really been disappointed and let down in a Google announcement, not only because everything that was leaked was true and my, my, my precious Pixel Ultra did not, in fact, actually uh, come to be reality, although I've been promised in 2019 that it will actually come to fruition. We'll talk about, we'll talk about that off the air. But in watching the announcement, I literally, uh, and I was at a meeting um, with uh, a colleague and we were, I apologized to her in advance and I said, hey, thanks for meeting me so early in this morning. Uh, I did want to let you know that I'm going to be watching this live launch announcement while we're having this discussion. So I'll only be paying about 50% of my attention to you. The other 50% I'll be, I'll be paying to my laptop in front of me. And then when I saw the, um, uh, that the pre-order page went live and the, the prices, which also had been leaked the night before, were in fact accurate. Uh, I literally closed my laptop right there in the middle of the meeting and went, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Like, I'm just done. I don't think that, 
And a lot of people and some of the folks that I talked to on Reddit said the same thing, that they feel like this is an S, like the typical iPhone S upgrade year, which is, hey, we did a spec bump and um, some other stuff, you know, ring, ring, siren sound, woo. Like that's the smoke and mirrors that they want you to see. Oh, and by the way, we increased the base model price $150 over last year, which is really staggering if you think about it. The Call it what you want. Say that the Pixel 2 is ugly, and you might be right. But in terms of the value proposition at $649, it's a, it's a very compelling phone. And for all the reasons that you just mentioned, excellent camera, maybe the best mobile camera in the marketplace, uh, excellent performance, uh, prolonged software support, and Google has even added dedicated um, a 24-7 support on the device that you can reach out and, and ask somebody if you're having problems with it. Uh, you know, how helpful that support is, is, you know, problematic, but it, it, those things are there and they are an option. And they were, they were added as an option to compete with the apples of the world where you could go into an Apple store and get a genius to help you. And those are the kinds of, uh, those are the kinds of scenarios that Google is contesting with. And they're a big company. I mean, Google is a freaking big ass company. Like they got tons of money to spend on this, obviously, because they're getting into the hardware game. And you could say that the Pixel 2 XL for its flaws, and it had some, there's no denying that. You could say that, and I made this case, that it was greater than the sum of its parts. And the fact that it, you know, my display, you've seen it, it's not bad. It's not one of the terrible ones that these people were getting. And I've found it actually to have even improved performance after getting Android Night Pie. I was actually slightly disappointed with the um, Android 8.1 update that I got because I got stutters, I got some some random drop frames and all these other kinds of things that I, I wasn't used to after coming from the Pixel 1, which performed flawlessly for, for me for over a year. And what I had really sought was, okay, if all of the leaks that we're seeing are, are true, they're going to basically take the Pixel 2 XL and shrink it down and give you the Pixel 3 and it basically call it the Pixel 2 XL Mini. And that's a good thing because the design is, is you know, it's not as bezel-free as Samsung phones, but it's fine. And then, you know, the bigger phone for people who love notches inexplicably, like whatever, it can exist. I don't care. It's fine. It, it exists in its own space and it, it can do whatever it wants to do. And it's fine. And, you know, I figured, okay, hey, what is it going to be? Like a 40 or 50 buck increase, you know, a 699 and 799 for the two SKUs. It's still undercutting the competition to a certain extent if you view the competition as, you know, for the Pixel 3, like, you know, the Galaxy S9 and S9 Pluses. It's, it's at least competitive in terms of price point, although you can get an S9, which, you know, has some, has some deficiencies when compared to the S9 Plus for, for quite a bit less than that. And then, you know, clearly the bigger device competing on the Note scale, you know, at, uh, I think what was 849 and 949. I mean, we're already in $1,000 territory. So, you know, they go up to 999, big whoop, like nobody's going to care. The people are, you know, buying the iPhone 10s at 999 and not even batting an eye. And some of them even more so for the 10s Max at 1099. So they're, they're under the prices of the iPhone. But the Pixel 3 didn't come in at 699 and 799. That $150 price jump for basically what amounts to an S-year upgrade, I think is a significant misstep. And I think that Google will probably still sell quite a few Pixel 3s, but I don't think that they're going to sell as many as they would have if they had brought it more in line with the pricing that they had had last year. And maybe you could say that with a lot of other phones, but a lot of other companies aren't Google selling, you know, 4 million Pixel devices, which is, you know, 
pathetic compared to Samsung and Apple in terms of the grand scheme of things. And if Google wants to compete on the bigger stage, they're going to need to come to the table with more than just, hey, our phones cost as much as Samsung and iPhones do. Like that's just, it's, it's, a, it's a mistake. It's just a mistake. So just to rehash pricing for everyone, the Pixel 3, 64 gig is 799 The 128 gig is 899 And then the Pixel 3 XL, 64 gig is 899 And the 128 gig is uh, 999 um, Look, everything you're saying is basically what we've been talking about all year. I, I think when we did the Note announcement, even the Galaxy S9 and S9 Plus, I think we actually gave Samsung credit with the S9 and the S9 Plus because they actually left the prices where they were the year before. Yes. So we kind of said, well, it's an S-year upgrade, but they didn't raise the prices. The prices are the same. So when viewed through that prism, it's like, I can kind of get on board with that. The Note, we were upset because, again, it was a very S-year upgrade. Same thing, very very moderate changes, but they did. They, they raised the price, and it's this weird thing where Google seems to have done the same, and I think the justification for doing so is non-existent, I'll be honest. Um, I also would say, look, when you're talking about $1,000 phones, or, or hell, let's just talk about phones over $900, um, the four that I can think of offhand are the V40 Think, the higher-end Pixel, Pixel 3 XL. Um, you have the Note, um, and you have the uh, iPhones, the XS and the XS Plus, and when I'm looking at that group, especially for bang for buck and what you're getting for your money, I think unquestionably the iPhones are better. Um, I personally would say I would take a note over the Pixel 3 XL, uh, all things considered. Um, the V40 think I would likely not. I think I would opt for the for the Pixel 3 XL, although I've not had a V40 think in my hand yet, so I. I going to try to reserve judgment until I actually use one. But the five cameras not doing it for you? It's just, it's really expensive, and I don't think that the justification is there. I, I don't, if you ask Google why they decided to raise the price, I mean, you're not talking about an insignificant sum. I mean, you're talking about quite a lot of money. It's, damn, it's like about a 20% price increase, something of that nature. Um, I would, I would be really curious to hear what the justification for that is, given that the phone really doesn't look like that much of an upgrade, in my opinion. Uh, beyond all of that, uh, the Pixel 3 XL, uh, you know, at that price point, I saw someone write an editorial on this today, and they, they were saying, it should be everything if I'm spending $1,000. And what I mean by that is it should have a design that's contemporary and, and looks good, and the Pixel 3 XL doesn't. That notch, I know people in the hands-on were like, yeah, it's not that bad once you use it. When you're saying things like that, you know it's bad. Yeah. And, and and now that I've really watched a bunch of hands-on, it doesn't. It didn't need to exist. I mean, it. you have a 78-degree field of view selfie camera, and then you have a 97 or 98-degree field of view selfie camera, which is more, so it's basically like a wide-angle <clears> selfie. <throat> but, and it has dual you know, stereo speakers, which is fine. But we talked about this on one of our other podcasts. It's like I would never have made that trade-off. As a consumer, if you offered me a version that had a much smaller chin, which, by the way, why is the chin so large on this phone? I mean, not only is the notch larger than every other flagship this year that has one, but the chin is also significantly larger. I sent you a picture that leaked out when Engadget did their Hong Kong review three days ago, and it, they had a picture of it next to a OnePlus 6, and I think I said... The OnePlus 6 looks half a generation ahead yeah. in design, like yeah. no joke. And, and I don't know how Google 
shouldn't have the worst implementation. I, I said it's the worst implementation of an already dubious design element to me, the notch in general. But um, the and reasoning I, for it's really doubly bizarre now that we know why they did it. I just I look at the waterfall style notches that the Huawei Mate 20 and the um, OnePlus 6T are going to have, and it's really a, a tasteful way of handling that. But I think really brings to bear how bad this implementation is. Well, first of all, don't don't go chasing waterfalls. Just stick stick to the Grand Canyon notches why, that you're used why to. Why do you have to do it? Why do you? Have, I'm going to give you the opportunity again, as I do on every podcast. Would you like to take that back right now, sir? Absolutely not. Really, you're going to die on that hill. Hey, to stick to the Grand Canyon notches that you're used to. Uh, oh, wow. Um, okay. So so two down. two things. Um, one, uh, there's display controllers in the bottom of the chin, man. That's why it's so big. I saw somebody make that argument on Reddit today and I immediately replied, that's funny because every other phone OEM has managed to trim down their, uh, bezels and the iPhone, uh, chin is not nearly as big and it has an AMOLED panel as well. And I got exactly no reply. So there's no reason for it to exist. However, my theory is is that when Google releases the ability to black out the notch, it will give the phone a symmetrical appearance, top and bottom. So that's why they didn't want a really small chin, because then you'd have this really giant forehead that would be too noticeable. Because everybody's going to turn I, off the notch. Look, they can try to justify it however they want. It looks terrible. All right, and I don't, um, it, I don't disagree. It, it is the worst notch I've ever seen. Here's the, here's the second thing I wanted to tell you, though. Did you read the Phone Arena report? that said that um, Daniel Bader from Android Central actually talked to a Google representative and said, so how come, uh, how come the two different designs? And the engineering lead said, we actually wanted to put the same notch on the Pixel 3, but there was an engineering limitation, and so they couldn't do it, and they had to, t- they had to use the, the symmetrical top and bottom bezel um, thing. Oh, the irony, because the Pixel 3 is the much better-looking phone. Although, again, I was looking at the phone arena size comparison when it had it next to, like, the Galaxy S9. And it the Galaxy S9 is a better-looking phone than the Pixel 3 as well. Oh, I mean, period. Uh, yeah, it has smaller no question. bezels. No question. It's, it's, it's better-looking. So, uh, again, a lot of people don't care about this, and they will choose the Pixel for all the reasons I outlined. Better camera, best software experience. And I don't think you can argue with that too much. I think there's an absolute argument for those people. For for me personally, well, I've said this for years, I'm obviously a note guy, I would rather have the more powerful hardware and have slower updates than the other way around because, you know, the updates now, they're pretty marginal, the changes that we're making at this point in the game. It's not like it used to be in the old days. So as long as I'm up to date on security patches, which Samsung is actually good about, I'm okay if it takes five, six extra months for the OS. I mean, is it annoying? Yeah. Do I think they can do better? Yes. Should they do better? Absolutely. But it's not like a deal breaker like it was back in the Android 2.3 days. So it's just one of those things where, and, and even if I were super concerned with updates, I think I would just buy a OnePlus if I was on a carrier that supported it because it gets super fast updates. It's super speedy. You get more RAM. The camera's certainly, it's not as good, but it's very good. So yeah, it, it's just tough. It's tough to, I think it's tough to justify any phone for a thousand dollars, but I would say of the phones that cost a thousand dollars, I think Google's justification is the weakest. At least Apple can say, you know, 
We have the best mobile chip by a pretty wide margin. And Antec is saying it's like once again twice as you know powerful and efficient as the new Android ones. Um, you have the tightly integrated OS. There, there's lots of things that Apple's bringing to the table. The Note, again, while it shouldn't cost $1,000, like you get an S Pen, best screen. 128 gig standard SD card, six or six or eight gig of RAM, dual cameras on the back with that you know the the variable aperture. So it has a lot going on. Whether you care or not is another story, but it does. I just I don't see that there's an excellent argument for why these phones are suddenly way more expensive than they were last year, and how they compare to those others beyond you know and just hey the camera's better and the software experience and that's worth the premium to me. And that's fine if you make that decision. For me, I wouldn't, and I think it becomes harder to recommend for me as well. Do you, well, in the iPhone's case, certainly there's a lot of headroom there, and that gives them the ability to provide uh, consistent operating system updates for years and years and years. People can spend $1,000 but hold on to the phone for three years maybe and get a lot of value out of that. For the Samsung devices, do you think there's any, um, and I'm, I'm specifically avoiding OnePlus because of their operating system um, in particular, but do you think there's any merit to the argument that could be made that the reason that the Note 9 um, and the S9 Plus um, have more RAM is because they need it? Because they're pushing yeah. Samsung's touch whiz skin, and that's what's causing the need for the extra system resources? Yes, I think you can make that argument, although... I would say the Grace UX, the successor to touch with, is definitely a lighter skin versus what it once was. But yeah, it's not as smooth or fast as OnePlus or Google's version of Android. There's just, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. I'd use both. I don't think the, the difference in performance is as, you know, stark as it once was. It's like, okay, this is a lot closer. They're not nearly as bad. But yeah, I think you could make that argument. But again, it's just mostly, and again, you could probably say this is the note. Nine really need eight gig of RAM. The answer is probably no. I, I don't think the One Plus Six needs it either. I'm not sure any phone needs eight gig of RAM. But when you're paying that kind of money, it's certainly nice to have. From the standpoint of, you know, you can load more applications in memory, and things should be a little bit snappier. It's not a deal breaker. I think a Pixel Three running four gig of RAM will be faster than those other phones. The One Plus it may be pretty close, but I think it will be faster in actual usage than the Note Nine. Um, but again, it's just like it's kind of on paper. It's where's the so if they kept the prices the same as last year, I think we'd be having a very different conversation in a lot of ways because I, I think it's like okay, they're less expensive than those others, and there is you know the specs don't have to match, and those other things outweigh you know, some of the cons that we're talking about. And it, 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 you go okay, but it isn't that it's it has these deficiencies still, and is quite a bit more expensive than it was and I just I don't see how they got there yeah and, and I think that that's fair and I think that the the extra RAM um, argument is only good in terms of like future proofing um, so if you were planning on buying a phone and holding on to it for several years you know minimum two maybe three then I think you're starting to get to a point where the argument can be made okay yeah uh, it's 2018 and 20, uh, 2018 standards of Android 9.0 and um, four gigs of RAM are, are probably sufficient. I mean, at least it is right now for my Pixel 2 XL, which has the same amount of RAM and is running that operating system. Um, but will it be doing as good in 2021? 
eh, I don't know. And I don't know what the future of Android will bring, but you know, certainly it, I, it's not going to get less resource intensive and it, it'll only get more, even if it's only incrementally more. So from that standpoint alone, from the future proofing side of it, um, you know, then there's definitely a case that you could make that, that more is better. Um, and, and specifically in the case of the one plus, although their prices are starting to creep into the, um, the one plus 6T, do you want to bet that there'll be a variant of the one plus 6T that's over $700? Oh, um, I'm thinking six ninety nine, but yeah, but but again, as long as you can, you know, if they're eight gig, hundred twenty eight gig variant, it's five ninety nine, which is what I expected to be. I expected to go up twenty bucks. I still think there's a lot of value there for what you're getting, having used that phone. Isn't the base model um, sixty four gig and six? Yeah, it, sorry, there's sixty four six. That's five twenty nine. I just I would start with the hundred twenty eight gig one personally, so I was going to start there. Sorry, but I expect that will be five ninety nine, and I still think that's a pretty great deal for the money. Um, and, and to your point, like I guess the other thing that's kind of weird about this year is literally four or five months from now, the S10 Plus we know will have triple rear cameras, uh, wide-angle telephoto, and the normal. It's going to have probably an ultrasonic underscreen fingerprint scanner. It's going to have a design that's going to look quite a bit ahead of this. It, it likely will have no notch, may have no, it may be relatively bezel-less. Um, it's going to have six or eight gig of RAM. It probably will have the 4,000 milliamp hour battery out of the note. It'll probably be 128 gig base plus an SD card. And I, it may cost $1,000. I don't know if they'll raise the price or not. I'm not so sure. I, I'm guessing they're going to keep it more than 950 range, but we'll see. But I guess my only point here is when you put that phone in a few months up against a Pixel that costs $1,000, oh, and by the way, it's going to have the newer Snapdragon a generation ahead, so it'll be on the 7 nanometer. I just, I think it really, I don't know, that's a pretty stark difference for me. Yeah. If I were a consumer and I looked at that, I think I'd be, man, unless I knew that I absolutely wanted like fast updates and some of those other things, I don't, I don't know how one would pick a Pixel 3 XL ahead of that. Yeah, this may be, as I said, the first time in a long time that I'm not actually welcoming our Google overlords with open arms. I'm, I'm actually considering closing the door, locking the door, and telling them to go to hell. Uh, only because, uh, I, th- I agree with you, I think that six months from now, there'll be devices that'll be released, like there'll even be a new um, G-series variant from LG, which could be a very compelling phone for a lot of people. Um, LG hasn't sold a ton of phones recently, but the you know the V40 is at nine hundred dollars. It's overpriced, but it'll come down. You'll be able to get it for you know six ninety nine or seven ninety nine here probably within the next couple months. And I think at that price point, it becomes really compelling because their their mix of smartphone cameras in terms of the triple reel camera and some of the things that they do with audio and and the quad DAC and stuff like that are pretty interesting. They're also one of the only phone OEMs that still has headphone jacks and SD card support too. Um, the S10 certainly does promise to be a much more uh, future-looking device, and Samsung's got a lot riding on it. Their 10th generation um, phone, their 10-year anniversary phone. So uh, there's definitely a lot of incentive for them to, to see that phone perform really well, especially against the uh, iPhone 10 because that was its Samsung's major competitor. And um, yeah, it, it's entirely possible that the Pixel 3 line will not age very well. 
And I can only hope that the rumors that uh, this was kind of like a competition to see which hardware division within Google was going to survive this year uh, are true and that the people who made these decisions are subsequently dismissed and that Google... I don't think they will be. Uh, I think it'll still sell. Really? And I would just say I expect this to be a lot like last year. I think you're ultimately going to see a lot of reviewers, especially like, like I know David Ruddick is a huge, Android Police is a huge pixel guy. And I think we're going to continue to have those guys that really review phones for a living continue to say, yeah, the Pixel's not perfect, but it's better than any of their phones. It performs better. It's more consistent. Um, you know, the camera's the most consistent and best. So I think we're still going to see a lot of that. I just, I wish, uh, you know, it's like with all these guys, I wish someone would just put it all together if I really wish, you know, if Pixel, if the Pixel Three XL didn't have that notch and instead had symmetrical, smaller um, bezels, I think it would be great. You know, I think that I would have actually liked that design, even if it was the same as the S Nine Plus. Like the bezels were that size, I think I would look at it and go, "I admire Google for not going full notch," and I, you know, I, I think that that design would look good and more contemporary and all of those things, but. Um, yeah, I, I just, you know, I think it's going to be a great phone. I think a lot of people will buy it. I expect the reviews to be strong. I think raising the price is really a questionable decision. I'm not sure what the justification is. And I do think that the designs, and this is something I'd like to see them change, but their designs tend to be a half generation, their generation behind everyone else. And if you're going to charge $1,000 a phone or, you know, that those super premium price points, I think you have to do better than they're doing. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I agree there too. I think that they do need to do better. And that's one of the reasons why I'm hoping that they maybe turn over some of that hardware team, maybe bring in that uh, HTC design team because those HTC phones, not necessarily the OG Pixel ones, which were basically recycled shells, but you know, some of HTC's designs have been really, really interesting. And that I think would be a significant boon. Uh, and their hardware always was, was pretty top quality. So uh, one, I'm, I'm one more thing we didn't cover that I just want to throw out there. I know we're reaching the hour point, but yeah. um, DisplayMate tweeted out that their review was oh, on yeah. the 15th, but it is the Pixel 3 XL. I mean, last year, the Pixel 2 XL, as you mentioned, there's a lot of hand-wringing about the display from LG. It was grainy, blotchy, it had Blue a variety shift. of problems, uh, especially the first units that were produced were not great. Um, and DisplayMate said that this got an A+, and ranks amongst, so the same score as the XS Max and the Note 9 for those keeping track at home. Um, I'll be really interested to see the measurements. It's it, would, it seems relatively amazing to me that LG was so far behind last year, and if they are indeed the manufacturer this year, managed to bridge that gap in such a short period of time with Samsung, who's been doing it for like a decade. I think from a calibration, I expect the calibration and those kinds of things to be quite good. Google has been good about that historically. I don't actually think that the panel probably will end up being as good as the Samsung's if you look at them side by side, but man, the fact that we're even having this conversation is relatively amazing because last year they weren't even in the same, no. you know, like, no. Not they even close. They weren't. They weren't even in the same parking lot to go through the tunnel to get into the same ballpark. Yeah. Whereas the reviews and the hands-on today that I read are like every single one of them, one after another was this panel is really good yeah. and like substantially improved versus yeah. last year. So uh, if you're going to charge top dollar, this does seem to be an area where they focus maybe some of their time and money. And I, I do think that's an area where if there may be some justification. I'm actually excited to see it 
I still wish it didn't have that giant notch because it really detracts from the beauty of the screen. But still, if, if this pans out, I have to give the major credit for improving massively in one generation. I agree. And I saw that same thing. And, and I think I read that Google spent a ton of time um, doing the calibration. And, and we've talked a little bit before, and this is kind of going into the inside baseball, you know, nerdy, nerdy talk. But there's a couple of different ways that you can calibrate displays. You know, one of them is is by batch, and one of them is by group, and then one of them is by individual calibration. And basically all that that means is you can pull one from a, you know, a, a big, large lot of phones, calibrate them, and then all the other devices are calibrated to those same settings. And the natural variations in the AMOLED crystalline structure cause the, the differences in the, in the actual display to be represented. And then you can take a line and go line by line and say, okay, the first one in this row of 10 is going to be calibrated. And then you do a, a smaller grouping, basically. And then the individual calibration is literally every single device is tuned individually, which is an incredible amount of labor-intensive work, but that's the method that Apple uses Apple with their iPhone panels, and it has produced incredible results. Again, their, their panels are amongst some of the best in terms of OLED, and Samsung does something similar, and their panels are the absolute best in terms of that calibration. Now, there are those people who will tell you that you know the oversaturation point is, is not true calibration. But the, the report that I read said that Google spent a lot of time, and I think what they meant to say was that they spent a lot more time on this individual calibration process for these panels, and that could have yielded much better results along with the improvements in um, LG's supply chain and, and in growing the, um, the OLED um, organic material for these panels. So. Yeah, big big ups to LG if they're the ones making these much improved panels because that would definitely be, as the saying goes, a site for sore eyes. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you have that because we've been going for a long time. Good time. I appreciate it. I got two jokes in this episode. Woo wow. I mean, jokes and quotes. <laughs> Haters gonna hate, man. Haters gonna hate. Yeah, yeah, you know how I do. All right, man. As always, good times. Good times. Take care, and I will talk to you again soon. All right, thanks. That's the show for tonight, everybody. Thanks again for listening. As always, if you want some more information and some more detail, you can head on over to silicontheory.com. Check out our 2018 Google Pixel hardware event recap there. You can also follow us on social for funny commentary and good times. We are at Silicon Theory on the Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, I wanted to give a big shout out to Blue and their specific Yeti Nano microphone line. I'm using that noon microphone to record this episode and hopefully future episodes. So uh, I'm not being paid to say this, um, so you can take my word for it. Uh, I think this microphone's awesome, and I'm really, really glad that I got it for free because of a weird accident at work. So um, hopefully the audio quality is much improved and you enjoyed it as much as I did making it. Uh, And then as always, of course, you can head on over to our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Silicon Theory and check out our video content there. Subscribe while you're there. That would help us out. We appreciate it. Thanks again for listening. Take care, everybody. And as always, we will talk to you soon.